Welcome to Reframing Our Stories. This podcast is dedicated to deconstructing the stories we've been told about who we are and how we're supposed to be. I'm your host, Kara Houck. Today, I speak with my friend from high school, Dave Kellen. Dave has always fascinated me in the way he connects to people and the way he plays music. Today, you will hear stories of how music was Dave's saving grace and helped him through different experiences of loss. Music has a way of bringing us together and offers space for healing. And luckily, you'll get to experience some of Dave's music during the show. You may also hear a little chatter from his baby in the background. This show was recorded during the early stages of the pandemic. So relax, take a load off, and enjoy. I met Dave in high school. He and I spent most of our time together in journalism class. That class for me was the best mix of all social groups in high school, and we who ended up really caring for one another. I've always been a fan of Dave, and here is why. From my perspective, Dave always knew what he wanted and wasn't afraid to get it. He is a man of passion. I knew Dave was going to do great things because I think he is a fantastic musician. He was always playing his guitar and singing those songs of funk and blues. I often felt that teachers and administrators at our school would roll their eyes, but Dave would not give a shit and he would find ways to make music and play it for us at school and in our community. He has traveled the country playing his music and is currently living in New York. I knew he would do it. There's also a softness and resilience to Dave because he hasn't had it easy. Dave has experienced what I would say quite a bit of loss and hardship. It was more than I had known back in the day. Through it, what I saw was a man of grace and compassion who daily spreads his love through his music. So I'm so excited that I get to talk with him today. And I should also point out that if you love my intro music, Dave is the person who made it. So Dave Kellen, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. It was an honor to do your theme song, so. <laughs> I totally appreciate it. We had fun doing it too, so. Yeah, that's good. No, yeah. I love it. So how are you? I'm good. We're just kind of on lockdown out here in the, the thick of it, but we're, we're managing. You know, we haven't torn each other's heads off yet, so we're, we're doing great, actually, <laughs> under the circumstances, but thanks yeah. for having me. It must have been a little bit hard for you as a musician, right? Yeah, it's tough. Everything's shut down right now, and but going live on Facebook has helped. Some people like to contribute a little bit uh, week to week, which is, is very nice of them. So we're appreciative of that, but I guess there's no excuse not to practice right now either. So. Right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, we actually listened to you, my family and I did, over dinner one night. I was like, you guys, this is Dave playing it up. Let's listen as we eat our dinner. And they're like, who's this guy? I'm like, oh, we went to high school together. And I was like, don't you love it? I was like, he's funky. He's bluesy. You know, <laughs> you kind of... <laughs> you kind of remind me my one of my favorite musicians is martin sexton do you know him yes yes he's amazing right yeah. i feel like you remind me of him a little bit that's a great compliment I, I was familiar with the one album faith on the table i had and i listened to that thoroughly i don't know if you're familiar with that one no it's, i don't think i am actually yeah oh, i loved you. his double album of live wide open 
that one. Have you oh, heard that one? I gotta check that out. No, it's really good. Oh, it's my hands down favorite. Have to take it. Like if you're deserted on a desert island kind of thing, it would be. Wow. I would take it with right. me. Yeah. So tell us what made you get into music? Because I know I feel like it just seeps out of your body. God, where do I start? Well, I had I, you sent me the question, so I. I went way back into the vault of my mind, and um, I thought about when I was five years old with my dad, and we didn't even have a mall yet in Midland, and we didn't, you know, we had nothing in Midland, so I went to Meyer over there on Titabawassee Road, and I'll never forget we bought Thriller, the Michael Jackson, and I was five years old, I said, well, this is great, and I saw, I saw the album cover, and I knew that, you know, I think Beat It was out in Billie Jean at that point, so we brought the record home, and it was just my sister and I who were there at the time before my brothers were born and we put that on the record player and I just had almost vivid memories of just dancing around the room with my sister and singing and like just celebrating that music which was like a big deal because that was the time when you know that was like the biggest album in the world so I kind of got a little bit of funk and I'm an awful dancer so I can't imagine what I looked like <laughs> back then 35 years ago dancing around to Thriller but that was it I just started really loving music, feeling the beat. And then my grandmothers both played piano and my, my grandmother's going to be 93 tomorrow. She used oh to radio back in the thirties in the upper peninsula. She was a huge influence on me as well and bought me oh, my first yeah. performance at seven. So it was kind of a family thing. And I and Michael Jackson. I it was a combination of both of those things that brought it out of me at the time. That's kind of surprising for me to hear that Michael Jackson was your first kind of influence. For some reason, I don't know why. Well, it was the '80s, right? So everybody. This is true. It was like the big thing. Getting down to Michael Jackson. So Are you still a huge My Michael Jackson fan? Well, it's tough to really like the man anymore because of what's um, out there now about him. But <clears throat> that whole album was pivotal for you, right? Yeah, critical. So I, and I still love the music, but as mm -hmm. far as the man goes the mysteries are starting to be revealed and it's pretty dark so it's hard to <laughs> to want to go there you know it's true such a I'm huge, a huge i'm a huge lionel richie fan oh yeah i love lionel richie <laughs> same time right right around a little after i think dancing on the ceiling was out or... yes <laughs> i feel like for me it was lionel richie and whitney houston i was obsessed with them and paul simon Paul Simon's amazing. Yeah, but I, yeah, Lionel Richie, I, it's funny now, he's like a judge on. I know, American Idol, <laughs> which you won American Idol in mid-Michigan, correct? Yeah, mid-Michigan Idol. That was fun. That, yeah. When was that? What year was that? Long time ago, 2001. <laughs> That's right. That's amazing. What was that experience like? That was a game changer because I was playing around and I had kind of chosen to do music for a living at that point anyway, and that just gave a lot more exposure. And then mm -hmm. I went to New York, and that was a big catalyst, and meeting with some record labels, and I kind of realized at that point how much I really didn't like the industry, because it was oh, fabricated. But I'm not going to hate on that anymore. It used to be like that. But it was oh, it was amazing, though, because people were like, hey, you're so-and-so. I'm like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was big back then, you know, but it was, my mom was really proud, so that was so, yeah but yeah no that's cool I remember reading that or because right we were I was in college in 2001 and 
I think my mom had called me and she's Dave Kellen won. And I was like, he's so good. I knew he would do something. (laughs) Uh So excited for you. So when did you start guitar and picking that up and playing around with guitar? Well, this goes back to my grandma. This is my dad's mother, Jane Kellen. We named our daughter Paisley Jane, you know, partly after her, but she bought me my first guitar when I was seven. Oh my goodness. Because cool. I was really into like hair bands. I had this, yes. <laughs> one of my dad's good buddies I had a son named Chad Sandow, who I'm still friends with, good friends with. And uh, I just was, I used to see Ozzy Osbourne, Ozzy Osbourne uh, posters on the wall and Rat and Motley Crue and Iron Maiden. And I was this like little kid and was, <laughs> who are these girls? You know, they were guys playing guitar. It was, it was weird. Anyway, no, <laughs> like girls. I'm like, that was confusing. But I was starting to get into the music and I, and I loved I did the imagery and stuff, so I was like, I gotta play guitar. And I, I would always go over and play my friend's guitar, Chad. And then my grandmother brought me the, bought me the guitar when I was seven, so I, I played that for a few years. And then I didn't really have the attention span to continue with it because it was like my hands were really small. And this was a small guitar, but I just so then I went to piano for a few years and stuff like that. But that was my first real experience with an instrument at seven. So. And did, what was your band name in high school? Didn't you form a band in high school? Yeah. That you just playing around with? (laughs) I had, uh, it's funny. Well, we had in junior high, we had Maple Plaid. Then we had a band called Everslacking, which was like, (laughs) screw the man. And we did a lot of Nirvana and Green Day, but that was starting to write music at that time. And then we got a little jazzier and funkier, more bluesier called Grimberry Jam. So that was Uh. good. Seen yeah. Yeah. I remember that. So what has affected you the most with your music? I would like to consider myself a religious person, but it, the music was just has been my religion pretty much through my entire life. It's like therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, because I've gone through a lot of rough times with that. Certain things, I guess you could say things that have happened to me that are that I had no control over. So right. the effect of it is it sonically has kind of healed me in a way where <clears throat> there's I don't think there's anything else that could do that you know like listening to like guys like James Taylor that music is like healing to me and I god I mean how does it affect anybody right it, it can take you to another place it can take you you could, you could be feeling one way and you turn you, you, fl- you flip the switch and it can take you to another place and you feel better so I think it's I think it's therapy for me at the most for you know uh, I could go on forever right now. I know I'm uh, babbling, but... No, it's fine. You go wherever you want to go. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I know, I know, but I'm trying to say... It's basically therapy, put it that way. Mm-hmm. It's the healthiest thing I can do for therapy. There are other ways you can medicate yourself, but this is true. most therapeutic. So I always tell people, my favorite thing in the world is going to hear live music. And mm-hmm. as you know, I'm a spiritual religious person and for me live music is one of the biggest ways I connect to God Mm -hmm. like I very much it's much more it's a worship experience for me and I feel like it's just I love going to those spaces because you look around at people in the room and you're like we're totally there's so many different people here and I'm sure we're completely different in different ways Mm-hmm. But yet here we are grooving and feeling, you know, it's like this vibe and the energy that you can feel in a room 
And I feel like I'm learning so much more about the energy you put out in the world is kind of the energy you get. And I just feel like going to live music just is this way of bringing so many different people together. And it's just this vibration that I love. What, um, I guess I'm going to ask you a question, but uh, yeah. what band did you get that experience from? What bands? Mm-hmm. Or any, not even a band. I mean, any artist. Well, I mean, like I said in the beginning, Martin Sexton, I love, and I've gone to three Bruce Hornsby concerts, and I'm just like obsessed <laughs> with his concerts. They're so amazing. Right. Yeah. So, and Indigo Girls, yeah, just anywhere, you know, I just feel it really at any venue because it's just, you know, I went to Austin City Limits in 2007, and, you know, there's a million different bands, all different, and you can just see it. Like, you just, it was like I stood in the middle of the field when I was just like so hot. It was so hot there. And you just look around and I'm like, look at everyone. You know, like music, obviously it brings people together. And I just, that's what I love about it. I agree. Yeah. Cause I used to, God, when I knew you, when I first knew you, you used, used to sneak away and go to Dave Matthews concerts or Fish or Yaman Brothers. So I saw a lot of bands earlier on that kind of had a huge influence and there might have been substances involved as well but I think it was the music <laughs> I trumped the substance at this point but anyway yeah but I, yeah I, I totally agree with you it's the live portion is and that's how I make my living too is, is live music really I mean I put out some stuff and I'm actually about to release something else which is great but yeah live music is everything to me but I don't and even you, know where I'm podcast I think I'm gonna throw the question no, yeah no at this point I mean but that's like how I mean, and that's what I love about watching you play too, because, you know, when we did in high school, Ren Fair, (laughs) you know, it's like, there's just aspects of you that come alive. You know, I want to say that there's times, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, like in high school where, when I knew you, because through journalism, right, we could form these bonds and stuff. And Mm -hmm. it was like, there was times where you were shy and there was times where you kind of held back. And then when you put a guitar in front in your hands and you were on stage, it's like you came alive. Kara, I was really stoned, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't form a sense, but yeah. No, and that's actually true. That and you have all these questions about talking to your younger self. I'd say, don't smoke with me. No, I, I was shy. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm, go ahead. My parents got divorced too, is when I really got back to guitar. And that's when I was like an escape again. It's, I don't want to use it as like music's an escape. That's why I've always gone to that because I just love to play anyway and I love music. But back to that, it's like I could get away. I could, all my troubles would kind of just fall to the wayside and I wouldn't have to. It was for me at that point and I realized what I was doing hopefully was going to, you know, have a positive influence on other people. But I... (laughs) It's so interesting that you say that because I just, I didn't know how to communicate like I wanted to. And that was my form of communication at that time. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So learning how to become a human being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. That was for me in dance. Like I felt like I was shy and so unsure of myself. I don't know if you knew this about me, but I was so unsure of myself and had extraordinarily low self-esteem. And for me, like dancing was my way of being able to communicate mm-hmm. And therapy, too. Like, dancing was my therapy. And music, you know, you have to have music to dance became therapy. And I feel like with you talking about escaping through music, I don't, it's not necessarily escaping. It's allowing you to feel 
in a way that is like manageable and that is scary I think well I think we grew up in a town that didn't have a whole lot of things to offer and it was a beautiful city to to grow up in I think we had a great school system I think there was some good things going on but I just if you really want to express yourself in a certain way I don't think that the like we did have the underground we had really cool clubs Mm -hmm. but it didn't quite it wasn't Detroit it wasn't Mm -hmm. New York it wasn't so we express yourselves in other ways. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, yeah, that, I can totally empathize with the, how you can say, you know, dance and music. It's, it's like the same thing but for us, I think. Mm-hmm. So with, I had mentioned, you know, like you have said, like music was therapy for you and you have been, you have experienced loss in your life. So what, how did the music that you played carry you through those times? Well, I had this all mapped out to speak with you about, because I had a band, my first band was when I was seven years old. And John, oh. Moore, of all people had, a, I had a um, black and white guitar and he had a black and white guitar. Mm-hmm. And that way we were called the dominoes because our guitars were like, I don't know, like, aren't we cool? Our, I think his mom like named the band Debbie Warner. <laughs> oh, you guys are the dominoes. Look at your guitar. You're like, mom, oh, that's cool. You know? <laughs> so then we had a, we had a drummer, and this is the craziest thing about this. Speaking of loss, our our drummer, um, he was five years old. Not like we were playing anything that could even resemble organized music at that point. We, actually, I did have a song. <laughs> oh, I don't even know if I. <laughs> I remember the song. It was called "Down in the City." It was a little pity to see a young man cry. I'd be like, "Down," and Mac would hit the drum. <laughs> <laughs> We thought we were rocking. We thought we were. I, I got him. I wonder what it would sound like. But his dad, they got in a car accident and a, a suitcase hit this poor little boy in the head and he, and he passed away. Oh, and no. I was seven or eight years old at the time. So I had an experience through music, too, with death at a very early age because when I really realized life was not a permanent thing, you know, like you could right. be fragile at a very young age. So that was my first sense of loss with music. And it, not that it was a positive ex- I mean, experience, no. but I learned very earlier on what, that bands can break up. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that was really early on. And then, you know, I had three years piano and then the loss of my parents' marriage, I was grieving through that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, back to, back to therapy with that and the escape with music through that. And then when my mother passed away, I was 25 years old. And that was tough because I <clears throat> had done well with that contest and everything. And I was making a sort, sort of a name for myself in Michigan, just, just playing and making a living off my music. And, you know, I played at her funeral. I played a song that I wrote. Oh, and wow. how many people could say they played their mother's funeral, you know? But yeah. but yeah, the sense of loss. How do you get through that? I don't know. I don't, know. I don't think you ever do. No. I remember hearing when your mom passed away since our moms worked together. Yes. Right. Yeah. The thing that I remember about your mom is how kind she was to everyone. She was just a kind hearted person, just, you know, her essence. And I just remember coming back from college and then driving down, you know, our main street and then seeing how your house wasn't even there anymore. You know, like you had a predominant house, like in our small town, if there's Dave Kellen's house on the corner. And when that was gone, 
it was like I myself driving like felt the flow of that and I was like oh man I can't even imagine how Dave feels well I mean it was a cool house to us it was a lot of property because we ran the corner we had like over an acre right in the center of town which is a lot of land for just that area across from the library and the center for the arts speaking of rent fair I don't know, I have mixed feelings because when she passed away and then we sold the house, the city bought it and just basically demolished it because it was a really old house. There was actually some historical value, but it was a bit of an eyesore because it was an older home, you know, and we, but we loved it. It was yeah. home. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, I have mixed feelings because how would I feel driving by there and having another family live there? I mean, I, w- I wouldn't care now, but I mean, I think back then it was weird. It was like so final. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, sad. But. So was it was it sort of a healing thing for you to have the to ha- to have that house gone, or was it kind of did it almost put like some strained closure on parts of? I think it did. Mm-hmm. I think it did. I'm not happy that it's gone, but I'm not happy that I have to to stare at it because there was a lot of beautiful memories in that home. Right. And. and uh, a lot of pain in that home, you know, obviously when she was sick and passed away, but it's like a mixed feeling, but (laughs) it's so final. A closure is a good word for it. Yeah. It was just, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how how I'm supposed to feel about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard one. It is. So through, what have you learned through your music, I guess, the most about, like, how has it shaped you as a person? with your music and using it as therapy and experiencing it, having it help you heal through different losses? Well, it's definitely a healer, obviously. What have I learned? There's so, it's funny because there's a million, I'm totally ADDing out right now because there's so many things I want to say, but how do I say it in the next 10, 20 minutes we have? Why do I even start? It's, I mean, humility is a big one because you just want to look at music in itself in its own form so much humility and there's there's so much humor in it there's a million it crosses so many cultural divides that still divide this day in the world um mm. humility like you could be one like i used to play over in saginaw all the time and there's some amazing players over there that helped shape me as a musician and some of them are no longer with us but these old guys taught me blues and jazz concepts and because I didn't graduate from college with a music degree, but I hung around with a lot of people. I, I went to college and took some classes and got the associate degree and whatnot, but that was not really my education in music. Mm. But, oh man, there's always going to be somebody better than you. You could think that you're playing some hot licks. And I mean, this is basically, I think this is a younger thing too. It's competitiveness. Because I play with some horn players in my band that are amazing and they're really cool though. These guys are like, they have a hundred year old souls on the horn and stuff. I don't even know how to explain this, but the competitiveness and stuff that they talked about going to music schools and whatnot, I'm glad I didn't quite have to deal with that. But the humility is a huge part of it because you could play one thing and there'll be guys that'll play circles around you and you learn real quick that you may not be the best musician in the room, but it's not even about that anyway. You know what I mean? And I think, I think real musicians know that. But humility is a big one in the sense of humor. Like I could play a, I could play a, a lead line on my guitar and some kind of rock blues lick or whatever and, and have it mimic to me back, played in a certain way. And that's the humor part of it. I don't know if I'm going off on a tangent, but mm. it's the communication wise. So you get past through the humility 
and then you get to communication, I think, which is, is the most important part of music. But mm -hmm. the humility is always there because there's somebody that's practiced something much longer than you that's done conceptually way greater stuff but then you're all in the same room playing music together and there you are so that's when the, that's when the fun starts so well i almost think people who do music first of all i'm always envious and slightly jealous because i'm like that's amazing but you also have to i think from like a sexuality standpoint right because i'm a sexual health yogi too that yes. you have as a musician have to understand connection in a deeper way because mm -hmm. you're looking at people and you're vibing, right? It's you're looking at what other people are doing and you're feeling a sense of what's happening and then you're creating music together. Have you mm -hmm. experienced that? Is that one of the reasons why you love? Yeah, because you, you, don't, you don't really, it's not about you anymore. It's about the guys you're playing with, you're becoming part of a bigger sound. So that starts there on the bandstand with your bandmates and that communication is going on. I don't want to beat a dead horse with the word communication, but that's basically a good part of it. And then you realize it's not about you and it's not about the band. It's about who you're entertaining. Mm. And you look out and you see all these people that are just really engaged. Man, that is the gift. That's basically, I think, why you do it in the first place, too, because you wouldn't show up. There's some of the best musicians can be playing at home in their, in their basement, in their bedroom. And it's a shame they don't go out and experience that. But it's about taking it's something bigger than you are mm -hmm. um, physically and it manifests within the room like you were talking about. And then you get that, it's like a reflection back. It's amazing. I, <laughs> yeah. What, what's, one one of, the world. what's one of your favorite shows that you can remember? Or like a moment? Oh, there's so many. Because you know what? I, <clears throat> I play until the pandemic here. I was playing, I slowed down, right? I think I was playing 180 to 200 shows a year now. And I was playing up to 250 shows a year for 10 years. So there's a lot of memories. Which state would you get? You got to go by Michigan or New oh. York or New Orleans. New Orleans has been one of my favorites in the past few years because there's something in the air down there. Where I mean, that town literally thrives on music. And when you get to go down there and dip your toe in the water, your foot, or when you get to play with a seven, eight piece band, and your horns are blazing and, and keyboards rocking, the drummer's killing it, and people are just howling and I didn't even realize this was going on, right? So we're playing this little bar called D-Max, and I think it's uh, Middle City or something, which is a certain part of New Orleans. <clears throat> and I'm looking down, and I'm tearing it up, and there's kind of an old black guy sitting on the sitting at the bar. And it's just a pretty small bar. It's not, it's a decent-sized club, but I wouldn't say it's like a huge club. And we're going at it, and this guy's watching me like, wow, this guy's, he was definitely paying attention to what I was doing. And then we get done with our set, and I had no idea. And I'm glad I didn't know who it was, because they go, that's Walter Wolfman Washington. He's like a very famous jazz uh, or blues musician, I should say. He had just come, because we were playing during the Jazz Fest down there, and he had just gotten off the stage at the Congo Square stage. There's, you know, hundreds of thousands of people there every day, and he probably just played for 15,000, 20,000 people. And he was there, he's like, good job. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I hit it off with him and everything, and I found out that his girlfriend's uncle um owned bushy's bar in midland michigan of all places what and yeah it was really weird and he asked what sign i was and i told him i was a virgo he's all oh, gonna get along great but i wonder if you remember me now and i probably should have gone further with that relationship but just to play in a different place and then meet somebody with that acclaim and to have yeah kind of mutual respect 
from someone like that was uh, was probably a big deal. Like famous people, all famous people. <laughs> famous people. No, that's pretty cool. One of the things I'm going to move into is we can hear little noises in the background mm -hmm. because you recently became a father this last year. What was yeah. that like for you, my friend? Well, bringing this, bringing this little baby into the world and becoming a father. People say that things are never going to be the same and get ready. You know, so I'm like, yeah, yeah, And then when it happens and you're watching, you're, you're pulling a, helping pull a child out of your wife. Well, I didn't help, but it was, it was like the real deal. It was very graphic. And I was right there. Like some guys would not have done the experience I had. And there was my daughter. Oh my God. And it's been amazing. Like the whole experience was obviously amazing. But then we, we kind of went through a dark thing, not because of her. She would have been fine with sign language and everything, but we, we found out she was born profoundly deaf, you know, and being a, mm -hmm. a full-time musician, that was kind of a kick in the... Yeah. I, I, I remember when you guys posted that, and I was like, get out. I, really, my first reaction was, you've got to be kidding. Right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, there's a part of you, I mean, as a musician, you're like, what? Maybe this is rude to say, but I guess I was, I would, if I was in your shoes, I'd been like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like universe, what is this? And then oh, yeah, I was really pissed at God for sure. There's no question. Yeah. I was like wheeling and dealing with God and just mad at him or her or whatever. And yeah, I felt really slighted. Mm -hmm. um, but, there, but then there's like a part of me that was like, I don't want to be that person who's, oh, those are shitty things to say, but then I thought, this is Dave Kellen, who's also extraordinarily creative. And because music is all about bringing in this sense of vibrations and energy, like you would be this person to help, you know, mm -hmm. help her navigate through the world. Do you know what I mean? Or yes. is that weird? Is that a weird statement to say? No, it's, I think, and they say, it's naive and weird, but it's, they say that you never get anything more than you can really handle, which I think can be BS in a certain sense, but I think it's yeah. true. And it pertained to us, because I am, I'd like to say that I'm an optimistic person. Mm -hmm. for the most part, I mean, my poor wife, she was, you know, I, she had the postpartum thing going on, of course, and then she's dealing with the grieving of the loss of, a, of a, one of her prime senses for our daughter. Right. There was also a few limbo months of, well, it could be a vernix, it could be wax in her ears, it could be amniotic fluid, and we went, went through all these things. And even our uh, pediatrician goes, I don't think she's deaf because she was talking like, nah, 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 nah. I mean, she made a lot of sound for a deaf baby. So we were like, oh, well, you know, we'll just wait this out. You have to wait a month to get the other hearing test done. We did that, came back again, same thing, same. Then we had the final test where she was profoundly deaf. And that was like, oh, mm. uh, and that the anger and, then <laughs> we, we got through the, that part of the grieving process and then we figured we found out she had auditory nerves which and she was definitely qualified to that, that, that profoundly deaf to get her um, cochlear implants mm, mm -hmm. and those implanted at nine months and then they activated them about 16 days later so her one-year activa activation is coming up in September and <laughs> so what was that like when well, it activated. We had, we had the, that moment, you know, where I don't know why our stuff didn't go viral. No, but <laughs> 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 why not us? <laughs> right. They were just testing her 
mm-hmm. and they put the little the little implant on. It's a, a magnetic thing. The way cochlear implants work is you attach a magnet to the um, auditory nerve, which is then the implant. Well, she's implanted with magnets. So if you want to, and you're like trying to do something, you can just stick her on the fridge while you're washing your hands. Oh, no, you can't. You can't. You could. Right. The magnets are strong. That's not nice. Maybe. But they put that Goals. on. Goals. Goals. Hashtag. So we, put, we put that on there. And she, this is just the test. And she looks around. Whoa, what's going on? They hadn't uh-huh. even turned on our voices yet. So we knew there was activity going on immediately. Oh, wow. By holding her. <laughs> we had that like that magical movie moment and then we turned it we turned them on and she had to put her hands over her eyes because she there was so much senses right. right it was overpowering so that was a magical moment and then and we were aggressive with it we were going to go with long island long island lij they call it jewish hospital and they didn't want to do it till a year we're like screw this we're going at nine months it was aggressive and she now can hear our voices at 10 decibels and the pin dropping is like just above zero decibels so she can hear our audiologist at her school says in 30 years of being an audiologist she has she's the only second kid she's ever seen with that much response to it to the oh wow so wow there was wonder, a silver lining you know don't you wonder what her little brain did inside you know because i can imagine like not hearing anything and then hearing something and just being like what how big it was incredible. She was just nine months old. It's not all bad, but we had a real rough patch in the beginning. And even through all of that, though, and knowing she was deaf, it's, it's, it's I mean, it really takes it out of you. I'm not going to lie. I mean, there's energy that I've had through this that I didn't know. And now we're expecting again in, in August. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. But the energy, I, I never have known where all this well of energy has come from. Because it's somewhere in the reserve. <laughs> it's just, right. <laughs> you know, like, how am I doing this? <laughs> I don't know how women do it either. I'm like, this is. I mean, it's a lot. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> that was for me. I I always wanted to be a mom. Mm-hmm. Always and really, I almost thought it was the only thing I was going to do, which is weird. But and it's been the thing that's opened my eyes up the most to everything in this world where I'm like, why didn't anyone tell me this? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> can we discuss this? It just takes you on a different path. And I think too, for me with becoming a parent, it unleashed almost old wounds. I don't know mm-hmm. if you were things I thought I had gotten over. I had not gotten over. And then you have a new perspective of things, I think from your childhood where you're now you see it as a parent and yeah. it feels very different. I don't know if you've already started to experience this or not, but that's, that was a big thing for me. Becoming I, I see where you're going with that. I, I feel like I really wish my mom was allowed now to meet her because I would have been my mother being in special education and whatnot. Oh my gosh. I didn't even put that together. Yeah. yeah this would have been something for her to, to help out with. I mean, she was such a helper. Right. And, great person you know you know that but mm-hmm. uh, just for her to see because i know paisley would have been her favorite but no i'm kidding no it's like that's just, <laughs> my rod and nieces and nephews no they're all great but. so with all this dave because i ask people this question what story for you have you had to reframe the most in this world 
of life. <laughs> go back to my dad, kind of. He was just kind of a jerk. You know, he left when I was like 13 or 14, so that was tough. Mm. He was not a supporter of music. You know, he was a blue collar real estate guy. And I was really angry at him for a long time. He was angry at me just for my life choices and stuff. Some, some of the stuff he was right about, but we just didn't get along. You know, you know the absentee dad and all that stuff. And, mm -hmm. and now we're great friends because I don't have my mom around. And we really are friends now. Good friends, I would say. And we talk a lot and tell, tell each other we love each other. And, but he was such a dick back in the day. And it's, get a job, a real job. You need to be a teacher. You need to be, no, I need to marry a teacher with benefits and keep doing music. <laughs> there you go, dad. But I'm glad because it had someone to reframe that whole experience. And this is just one of them. I, I have a couple for you, actually, that I, that I thought about. Yeah. But now I reframe that, and I'm, I'm happy he was the way he was. Um, he could have been nicer about it because it was someone that pushed me to keep, to be, to try to be successful and mm -hmm. to try to achieve like, my dream. Because it, you know, there's the protagonist, the antagonist, and and he definitely was that. So I just tried to. And there's a lot of people. There's a lot of haters out there, and. I don't necessarily do everything I would want to do in my music, but then to reframe that, I used to think, what can I get out of this? What can I get? Out? I want to, you know, people used to say, oh, you need to be on TV. You need to be this. You people were always telling me what I should be doing with it and how I should feel about it and how I should project myself onto the world. And now as I, you know, I'm 40 years old, it's well, how can I give? Because people need music in their lives. They need that therapy. Like, like we mm -hmm. talked about, they need that sense of release. They need that sense of, just, just be, you know, being at a performance, that sense of unity is so powerful. And to reframe that, now it's not, what can I get out of my musical talents? What can I get? If you have a sense of just trying to give, you do get a lot back. If, if The more you give, the more you get back. And that sounds cliche, but I don't think it is because, it, you know, the energy, it's a better energy to have. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it comes out through the music as well. And I think people recognize that, right? I mean, they recognize when, because as a musician or a performer, you respond to the energy also of the audience. And so you also are, what's the, how am I trying to say this? It's yeah. a relationship, it's a relationship, right? Like it's the yeah. way that you are responding to one another. And if you're not reading the audience well either, then, you know, you can tell that. Yeah, and it's hard in bars. Like so I still do these a lot of cool gigs where it's like a listening called listening rooms where people want to hear your original. I've like hosted open mics still, and you get a lot of this feedback from people on your own original material, which is big. But you could have the cool thing, at, at least in my profession, still is if I'm if I have a busy week, say four or five, sometimes six gigs, which is taxing on the voice and whatnot. But you could have two really bad nights. You could have a whole crappy week of music and is it your fault or is it the audience's fault were you in the right place and but they were the wrong people for the place or vice versa that can you could have one good performance that week or one good set out of 20 sets that week and it makes up for all the rest you know what I mean like mm -hmm. you have that moment where you hit that note you have that feeling but reading your audience I would say is probably one of the hardest things to do in any of it because how do you gauge it it's because you don't <laughs> some places really require a lot of like covers and stuff and some people are like 
play your originals, play your be you. And mm. so it's an interesting push and pull tug of war as far as that goes. But for an entire week of what you might call a mediocre or this or that response, you get that one. Ah! <laughs> you're like, okay, you're like, I can sleep on this and go and do this again tomorrow. So speaking of originals, would you want to play us something? Yeah. Give well, us um, yeah, let me grab my pick. Excuse me one sec. This is getting to be an old song. I wrote this when I first moved to New York. Which was, when did you move to New York? It's funny, I've released, I, I re-released something with Gut Bucket, but, which is banned from uh, Michigan back in 2011, but uh, I moved here in 07. Oh, okay. Late 07. Wanting it to stay like it was all day. When the stars start shining, love comes out to play. When your heart starts finding it's meant to be that way. meant to be that way Hawkins romantic they call me and you know why never gonna change so much negativity in the world with love with love has gotten to be so strange so strange when the stars start shining love comes out to play when your heart stops finding it's meant to be that way that way no it's meant to be that way It's meant to be, it's meant to be that way, whoa, whoa. So we've got this precious time, well, do we ever know if you lay it all down on the line, will it ever show, oh, will it ever show? Showing up for this When the stars start shining Love comes out to play yeah. When your heart starts fighting It's meant to be, meant to be that way Oh, you know, you know, you know oh, When the stars start shining Whoa! 
Dave Kellen, you just took me to another place. Thank you. That was so good. I am so grateful that you bought the Michael Jackson Thriller album back in the day. <laughs> I'm telling you, a huge influence, Stevie Wonder. <laughs> yeah. So good. You're so good. Thank so, you. yeah. my friend, if someone's, oh, I would like to go listen to some Dave Kellen. How do they find you? Well, there's probably a lot of dates on there right now that are not happening. <laughs> Where would they go? Do you, right do you have now a web? website? I need to probably delete all those for tax purposes. No, but um, like DaveKellen.com is mm -hmm. my website. And then I'm on Spotify. Just type in Dave Kellen. Got a, got a lot of stuff on YouTube. Some of it's good, some of it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's got their camera out now. I find stuff on YouTube. I'm like, oh no, like this is out on the web. And but it's not terrible, but I'm like, oh, this is not. I'm going to search right now. <laughs> a feature of my music, but definitely the iTunes. Uh, if you look up Dave Kellen on iTunes, it's on Rhapsody and CDBaby.com. Um, not too hard to find. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I totally appreciate you talking with me. This was fun. 